Welcome to the Sacred Stew, Season 3. I am your host, James, and this is my co-host, Anthony. And we want to welcome everybody to this new season. And we have a lot to talk about. And want to thank all of our followers for following, listening, and sharing as always. Uh, this is the place to discuss anything that is Germanic heathenry, theology, traditionalism, uh, anything to do with our folk customs and our beliefs. Uh, that's what we like to talk about here. So without much ado, it's been a couple months since we've done an episode. So Anthony, uh, how have things been going for you? Oh, you know, I'm doing good. Moved up to a lead position at my work. Blew my back out yesterday. You know, just life stuff, getting old. <laughs> it's funny as uh, my my back actually went out last Friday. And it's just now feeling uh, decent enough in the last two days to move around normally. I've been dosing myself with some ibuprofen and heat pads for the past week so it's very coincidental that your back has also started hurting as soon as you start feeling better i go to shit i don't know if we can be friends anymore <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess i passed on the illness yeah so uh <clears throat> a lot's been going on uh in the world of heathenry uh, a lot of conversations uh a lot of theological and debate going on. And uh, I know that we have a whole season ahead of us now that we're committing to with season three of the Sacred Stew. And we had left off kind of last season uh, before the Yule time period discussing uh, community building and, and moving forward. So I kind of want to focus this season on developing those topics and conversations of how do we move forward and how do we build these communities that we're, that we're doing. Um, and I think that the opening of this conversation, because we've talked about it privately, uh, some of the conversations that are happening uh, online and throughout the heathen world uh, as something to actually jump into this conversation about because it has everything to do with building communities uh, for our Germanic folk. What are your thoughts? Um, alleged spiritual authority comes to mind for me. And um, throughout this season... I will probably make some people's buttholes tickle and tighten because I, being in these conversations and listening to some intelligent and some not so intelligent people, personally, I am kind of at a point, and there's other people that have reference this we are again we are a religion we are a f spiritual faith we need to have some standards across the board i am not arguing against some differences from kindreds and tribes because that's a thing but i am getting extremely irritated with people who 
say that they are folk minded, that say they are traditional reconstructionists, and they any point they make, if you disagree with them or they disagree with you, they always leave it up to well, it's it's all up to individual personal understanding and there are aspects that that is true but on a greater whole there has to be some level of orthodoxy and this aversion to that is to me purely out of a christian reactionism the people that are against orthodoxy to me there's they're they're holding us back and they need to be called out as much and touching on ultimate spiritual authority i absolutely do not feel that that were, will ever fall to a single man or woman in the community regardless of what they call themselves or what position they hold in any organization one one man or woman will never have ultimate spiritual authority to decide what Asatru is, what foreign state is, what Germanic paganism is, what heathenism is, what folkism is. And uh, I'm going to stop ranting now. Woo, man, you just uh, jumped off the cliff in the ice river there. Just uh, just you did it. <laughs> this season i i don't care i'm around this i'm not i realize i need to be respectful but my ability to be nice and quote-unquote tolerant of certain certain things is starting to thin okay okay that's fair enough fair enough fair enough but let's 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 slow down a little bit let's uh back up a little bit and let's 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 start putting the pieces of the puzzles together with this conversation especially because there's a lot of people that listen uh to our podcast uh that aren't involved in some of these conversations and a lot of them learn about our faith from from these conversations so let's kind of let, let's back up a little bit and explain what we're going to talk about in this episode so i've been putting a lot of thought two weeks of thought into this episode since this divide or the line in the sand has been drawn by by some communities um exactly how we should approach this topic and talk about it because it's going to offend many people um but i want everybody to know that uh, the words and the terminology that we will probably use throughout this episode is not once to offend people that are seeking to practice the ways of our folk, but more or less to get people to start thinking about the concepts behind uh, how we identify ourselves. And I know that we've done some episodes in the past talking about identitarianism uh, and talking about what it means to be uh, a Germanic heathen. Um, and we've also talked about uh, cults of personality in the past and how they developed and specific individuals as well. Um, and a lot of that's going to be a part of this conversation because moving forward and making a community is going to uh, be something that we have to start drawing 
uh, very clear, distinct lines of definition behind the words that we're using to identify ourselves with. And I'll explain more about why uh, here in a little bit. But, um, but the topic today, I've already pre-thought uh, what we're going to call this episode. So, Anthony, uh, how do you feel about this conversation uh, developing from a headline of Fathers of Asatru and Cults of Personality? And heretics. And heretics. <laughs> okay. Yep. That is a very good add-on to that. So, how do we how do we begin this? How do we begin this? A couple things that come to mind is, I I guess we could to whatever length you want to do. We could give a little bit of the the history of how we got to this point, at least as far as the people involved. Uh, Stephen, Mr. Stephen McNallan, Valgard Murray, Stephen Flowers, Edward Thorson, who are the same, who are the same man. We obviously have very strong opinions about the man, his theologies, his associations, etc. But we would be lying to our audience if we did not say that for better and worse, that man has had a extreme influence on our faith today. I think it would be relevant to also to the people that may not know talk about people such as Mark Pereer and who is the head of the New Noriana Society and for those that may not know him uh Matthew Flavel who is the all Shiri Argothi of the Asatru Folk Assembly. Okay. I mean that's those are definitely things that we're going to try to delve into for this conversation. Um I guess the best way in my mind to begin actually discussing the fathers of quote-unquote Asatru is to uh, talk about some of the different communities, especially since we're going to be talking about community buildings, because one of the first things that people do whenever they start trying to learn about this faith is they'll start Googling, you know, where are local communities that I can connect with? And there's a few of them out there. We have... Um, the AFA, which is the Asatru Folk Assembly. We have the uh, Asatru Alliance. We have uh, the Troth. We have the Odinic Rite. Uh, we have the Odinic Fellowship that still exists. Uh, we also have the Asatru Community, or TAC as it's called. Um, I think that kind of summarizes all the major ones that people will find online. There's local kindreds and groups in different areas uh, that exist as well. 
uh, like for example in the Pacific North Northwest region specifically we have the Pacific Northwest wolf pack um, there is also groups out on the East Coast uh, one of them that comes to mind that's very active and a very good community is the ermine folk uh, there's also the Asatru Folk Alliance uh, out of southwestern US and Texas mainly so there's a lot of sub regional groups to, to bring up but I want to talk about the main ones that have been around that are institutionalized uh, ones that have been on the scene the longest because uh, these are all important things for us to understand on the development of our religious path and the communities and moving forward and trying to build healthy communities that 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 brings our religion back to life in our day-to-day -day life where would you go with the, with, with that well if we're just going to talk about organizations if my timelines are correct we need to start with the Odenic Rite and the AFA, at least in its at this time in its invocation as the Asatru Free Assembly, which was the predecessor to the Asatru Folk Assembly. Yes, yes. So. <clears throat> There's a lot of ties between the development of these organizations, even the Troth, for example, and the Asatru Alliance. Um, they're all interconnected at the very initial stages of the revival of the old faith within uh, North America and in Europe and even Australia. Um, in, in, in its infancies, some of the founders you've already named, we have uh, Stephen McNallan, who was the founder of the AFA, the, the, the Asatru Folk Assembly. We have Valgard Murray, who is one of the founders of the Asatru Alliance. And then we have the Odenic Rite, which was created by uh, John Gibbs Bailey and John Yell. And they essentially founded the committee, uh, committee for the Restoration of the Odenic Rite or Odinist Community. Um, the history of all of these communities develop uh, over time actually has a singular root uh, theology and philosophy that it derives from. Um, what is your understanding about how these communities developed? Well, loose history, these people stumbled across Viking materials, or, and I say that, that Viking term very loosely because that was the term at the time, just the Viking beliefs. But I want to say most of these people were involved with other pagan or occult groups before that. If they didn't all start with the Odenic Rite, these other groups took in influence from them. My, my knowledge of history before like the 90s is super, super slim and limited. Okay, fair enough. So 
all of these groups actually started forming around the same time in the in in the 1970s uh, and they were somewhat interactive with each other because it was a small circle of individuals that were promulgating all of this. Um, these groups themselves, uh, they all have a single history uh, to them uh, as far as what seed they come from. So you know that we've talked about Guido von List in the past um, and how he essentially invented uh, a brand new set of runes that have no historical att uh, attestations to it um, and brought occultism into the Germanic mindset and, and through the Blavitsky tradition. So... The roots of all three of these organizations, or actually you can say more than that, but uh, the roots of these organizations all can directly trace their line of beliefs to Guido von List specifically. So one of the first uh, restorations of a the Germanic pagan or heathen uh, traditions was by an individual by the name of Alexander Rudd Mills. He was inspired by Vod List, and he actually was uh, one of the first people to build, I don't know if you would call it a temple to Odin, uh, per se exactly as that, but he formulated the, the Angelican Church of Odin, um, in Australia and his work and his belief system was heavily influenced from uh, Guido von List and essentially he viewed the Christian religion as he had written about uh, as a phase uh, at least in a form of Jewish propaganda uh, of destroying uh, what he called the uh, Britannic folk and that that culture of Christianity had subverted the the Britannic folk into a form of materialism, and that he felt at the time the best way to awaken uh, the the people that would be a better expression of the Germanic folk were, was through uh, turning back to the old gods. But his concept of the old gods was very von Listian in the sense that he did not view them as actual beings or uh, gods per se. He viewed them as archetypes uh, that we've spoken about before in the past that are specifically the archetypes for the Germanic or Britannic, as he would say it, uh, expression of the culture of the people. Uh, this was a very common belief back in the early 20s and 30s. Uh, it was, I believe, in the 1930s when he did start that Odinic church in, in Australia. But also uh, other places of the world, even in Germany itself, these ideas of the religion was very much from an occultist perception because that was essentially the 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 common practice of people that weren't Christian per se. Um, 
the problem with, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, uh, about this archetypal worship of the gods is that it is a universal concept that says and blends uh, universal beings and entities and powers as being common for all people. Um, whereas we believe in a strict polytheist uh, view that our gods are real beings um, and that they exist in reality, in nature itself, and that they aren't archetypes and they're not universal beings for other people, but they are specific to our folk, and that each culture and each people have their own uh, gods or deities uh, that are specific to them. So that's just a little brief history of Red Mills. His work uh, inspired a very specific person in the 1960s by the name of Elsie Christensen. Are you familiar with her? By name only, I am not. Unfortunately, I'm not familiar with her accolades. I just know she is somebody that a lot of elders in the community very highly respect right she's often seen as the mother of asatru um she in the 60s read uh alexander red mills works was inspired by that and felt the call to odin um to start working to call our folk back to our old gods so she's viewed with a lot of reverence. Um, I, too, you know, have a lot of reverence for her. But as we've discussed before, you know, as we're reestablishing our connection to our gods, um, we do learn that this is a phase-by-phase and step-by-step process where, you know, maybe somebody that was first awakening uh, didn't quite understand everything. That's kind of how I view it. And I view these first founders of the revival as being people that were called to start waking us back up. Not that they necessarily knew exactly what the faith and the spirituality and, and that religion was, but that we need to begin reconnecting to that. That's kind of how I, I, I view the individuals. And now that folk are re reawakening, it's now our duty to actually start establishing that faith. Um, and what it is, and, and understand it, and pass it forward. But Elsie Christensen uh, was the main contact for Stephen McNallan in his learning about Odinism. Elsie uh, had established the Odinist Fellowship in the United States, in Canada, and I think a couple parts in Europe, and uh, that was Steve McNallan's introduction to it. Uh, as well as, I believe, Valgard Murray, the founder of the Asatru Alliance, was also a part of that. And then the original founders of uh, the Odinic Rite uh, acquired their inspiration from this organization that Elsie specifically had begun. So that's kind of a brief history on how this works. Um, the history of how Asatru revivalism began in the 60s. And the root of that specifically begins with 
Guido von List. So it's important to understand that because what's happening today uh, is we're starting to see a division happen between people that practice the old faith and various monolithic or organizations that have been around for many years. Um, because what is happening is that heathens today, as they begin to and have access to more information and, and study uh, what the belief system was of our ancestors and how they actually did ritual and practice the faith on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, we're starting to understand these things. Uh, some of these monolithic institutions are beginning to draw a line in the sand um, between people that are inclined to traditionalism uh, because of these established new traditions that these organizations began in the early 70s and 80s. I'd just like to make a point real quick that and, and again I can only speak for us two specifically we are no way invalidating or condemning or talking down the work that people like Elsie Christensen or anybody else did. We are here today because of the work that Elsie Christensen did, because of the work Mr. McNallan did, because of the work Valgard Murray has done. What we are saying is that for all the work they did, they didn't necessarily have have it all right. And what we are doing is we are taking the taking the work that they have done and expounding on it, refining it, and even more so trying to bridge that gap between the past and the present and the bridge into the future. We are not demeaning them in any way we are just picking up we we are taking the torch from them and moving forward as as is the natural cycle people can only carry that torch for so long and it i would say sometimes it can get passed but sometimes it can either be passed to the wrong person or it can't be passed and somebody else has to pick up where they left off. Again, it's a step-by-step -step process. We are not, we're not trying to talk bad about those that put in the hard work to get us to where we are today. No, by no, by no means. Uh, you know, in a previous episode, I had likened it to, you know, looking at my own children and the development of their life where, you know, when they're in first, second, third grade, they may write an essay or, or something as they're learning to write and express thoughts. Um, but it, that's by no means the totality of their life work because they still have a lot to go and a lot to learn. And I look at the development of our faith in a very similar way. Um, 
But what we are going to be highly critical of is what is happening today um, around these individuals that has nothing to do with our faith. And what we are going to be critical of specifically is the cults of personality that have formed around these individuals, the fathers and mothers of Asatru. Um, because we are seeing a trend where some of these older monolithic organizations uh, are codifying non-traditional beliefs and then trying to espouse and brand terminology around those beliefs as representing what that belief is. So... This episode is about to get very controversial because we're naming names. <laughs> so where would you like to go from here? I want to talk about something, and I'm just going to read this specifically from the Asa True Folk Assembly as an example of building cults of personality around individuals and then we'll we'll expound upon that here a little bit more all right so the Asa true folk assembly the afa just published in one of their runestone magazines uh an article about uh spiritual and religious authority and this is part of the conversation at large because this is what it's going to boil down to whenever we uh, start actually talking about what our actual faith is. So I'm going to read this article. So the Asa True Folk Assembly published this article. In 2015, Alshair uh, Yargothi, Steve McNallan, efforts through the AFA were further blessed by the gods themselves when we purchased New Grange Hall which was later named Odenshof. This was the first temple to our gods in a thousand years and still serves as a symbol of the favor of the gods' favor towards us. At the very first midsummer at Odenshof, the torch of spirituality of spiritual authority was passed from the founder Steve McNallan to whom they call Gothai Math, uh, Matthew Flavel, who became our second Osheriar Gothi. When that position was passed on, the authority and blessing of the gods passed with it. This may seem like shaky logic by itself, but bear with me. There has been a bit of online drama lately regarding spiritual authority among Asatruar and people claiming to follow Asatru. This issue comes up every so often, and it will likely continue to do so. However, I hope to squash some of the discourse here by offering you a few facts through this short article. There is no spiritual authority in Asatru besides the Asatru Folk Assembly. Our founder, Steve McNallan, was specifically inspired by the All-Father to revive Asatru and bring our folk home. He was the first true Gothi in many centuries and served as the spiritual authority during his tenure as Asher Yardagothi of the Asatru Folk Assembly. 
Since 2016, we have gained more than three Hoffs in the land that will hold Sigurdheim. Not only did blessings from the gods continue, they multiplied just as our founder was chosen by the All-Father to lead Asatru. Alshirdargathi Flavel was chosen to continue this mission. Spiritual authority now flows from him and anyone that he has ordained as a Gathi or Githia. This authority lies solely with the Asatru Folk Assembly, not the Noriana Society, not the Odinic Rite, none of the universal Universalist pretenders. The AFA alone carries the torch of Asatru into the future. Wow. That's quite the statement <laughs> from the Asatru Folk Assembly. So they are claiming now to be the only interpreters of the faith that people call Asatru that only they and them alone have the authority from the gods to interpret our faith, tell people what to believe. Essentially, they have created the Pope of Asatru. That is what their words specifically say. These words are very divisive, and these words have created a conversation online uh, among heathens uh, throughout the world, uh, because it's a very these are very divisive statements. Um, whenever you know somebody is claiming to have some type of a spiritual authority over you, Anthony, what is your uh, reaction to this message that this specific community is putting out there for people? Well, I would first say that. I very extremely highly respect Mr. McNallan. I have met him in person. He is a wonderful human being. He is an, an excellent example of the type of person we should all be, be inspired to emulate when interacting with our greater folk. I do not believe that what the AFA is now and the approach that they are taking is what Mr. McNallan would highly approve of. I could be wrong, but that's the feeling I get when I think on my interactions with the man. To say that Mr. McNallan was the only one that, it, that was inspired to awaken the folk is absolutely is absolutely false. There were men and women before him at the same time as him, and there have been people after. Um, I absolutely agree that what the AFA is trying to do is create a Catholic, create a a Catholic style church in the Germanic pagan community, the Norse pagan community, the heathen community. And he doesn't have spiritual authority, period. I'm just, I don't, I don't care. I've, I've met the man. I've worked with the man. I was an AFA folk builder and everything around this man and his Witten's approach is only meant to strictly 
divide the folk, period. And there is so much left-hand pass and an oxymoron hybrid of new new ageism and folkism coming from the top. And I want to say I have met a good amount of folk builders. I have met a good amount of AFA members. Incredible people. Great folk. It is the the Witten and Matt that are causing the problems among the folk. And all they have this approach, as they clearly stated, that if you are not AFA, you are not a Satru. Okay, so let's... Well, well, hold on, hold on. I, I want to dive into that that point right there because that is something that they've been saying for quite some time. Uh, you know that the AFA is Asa True and Asa True is AFA. And you know when I have conversations with other folk that are maybe members of the AFA, you know they explained it away. You know a year ago, two years ago, as well. You know we're just trying to brand it from universalists that you use that term and and such um but now that we can see what they're actually writing about um that they are essentially now saying that they are the sole authority for this even though there are other folkish groups out there that aren't part of the afa um and i don't want this episode to be a, a afa bashing episode because that's not the intent of this at all what I want this conversation to hopefully do is just to get people to start thinking about the concepts of, of what the spirituality is that they're practicing and, and what it actually means. Because if you are just practicing something that only began 50 years ago, then you are practicing a New Age religion. You're not practicing a traditional religion path by very definition of the word folkish uh, uh, that specifically implies something traditional passed down from previous generations um, these are important concepts and just like Anthony you mentioned this uh, I love all of the folk that are pretty much a part of the AFA I do have a problem with the leadership and the things that they're doing. And I do know that there's people within the AFA that also have problems with that as well. I've seen it expressed online uh, with friends that I have. Um, so I don't think they really fully comprehend uh, the totality of, of, of the effects that are going to happen over time because of these stances that they're taking. Um, number one, authority. Authority comes from the tradition itself that is what traditionalism is or folkism is it it comes from that tradition so if you if one is claiming to have full authority uh over a tradition that just started 50 years more power power to them but for everyone else we have to recognize what that is because it's not being said implicitly that it's a new age faith or a new age practice it's not the traditional practice um i do want to read something uh kyle davis had uh shared online 
because I think this will spark a lot of conversation, and I've already seen it spark a little bit of controversy um, in different chats that I'm a part of, but let me read. Kyle wrote, Germanic polytheism, a.k.a. heathenry, is the overall expression of various schools of thought which are defined by their beliefs and practices. Asatru is a recreation of a living tradition inspired by but not rooted in traditional Germanic or foreign-said practices. It is heavily influenced by left-hand path occultists and cults of personality that promote universalism. It does not represent the worldview and practices of our polytheistic Germanic ancestors. Asatru is not a reconstruction of the culture, but rather a modern interpretation and recreation influenced by universalists and New Agers alike. Foreign said, or a term that's recently been coined, Sedianism, uh, is a reconstruction of the ancient worldview of our polytheistic Germanic ancestors intended for their descendants. It is heavily influenced by the customs and views expressed throughout the fragmented pieces of surviving lore, guided by a dedicated research method and litmus test. Foreign said, or Sedianism, is centered around the folk customs and traditions of our ancestors. There are no foreign said universalists. We have a set of tenets which, encap which encapsulates our traditional worldview as it appeals to us today. That statement by Kyle caused a lot of controversy. Uh, a lot of people were offended uh, by it because of the way that they seem to interpret the way that he uh, painted the term Asatru. What are your thoughts on that statement, Anthony? I have to agree with them because I, from my person, my personal observations, I have noticed that a lot of people that use the general Ostertru term, they look to recent history for their inspiration, and they essentially are seeking to only create new folk traditions with little to no emphasis on looking at what came before for inspiration and to bridge the gap between us and our ancestral ways and the the Sedians that I have met because I don't me personally I just use the general term heathen I don't I don't really quote-unquote classify myself as anything else beyond that but the people that I have met that are that call themselves Sedians I appreciate their approach because they are not they are attempting to reconstruct the faith but they are not trying to say reconstruct the viking age faith or the stone age faith what they are doing is they are looking to the past to figure out what happened 
why it happened, looking at bringing that into into today and how that how those expressions and those thoughts would be manifesting themselves today and how we can carry that torch into the future. Yes, and I think that uh, just to kind of break down the point that Kyle was trying to make specifically is that the term Asatru doesn't actually define anything. Uh, the word by itself is just, you know, true or faithful to the gods. Um, the term was used in Iceland by the Asaturu Felagath, but uh, so it's, there's not a monopoly on the term. We have universalist organizations uh, like the Asaturu community, the Troth, that also use this term. And the point he's driving home is that it, it gives no distinction uh, to what our actual faith is. And the AFA is essentially trying to brand the term and associate it only with their, their organization, uh, even though the word is, is just a kind of a blanket statement that doesn't define anything. And so he was honing in on the, the point that we need to begin defining specifically this is what we are. This is what this definition means. And they created a term called Sedianism, which is essentially just a modernization of the word sed, which means custom or one who practices the old customs. Forn sid is a word uh, that our ancestors used to describe their religion, which just means old customs. They called, for example, Christianity at the conversion time was called the Nyrxidr, or the new custom. Um, so we didn't have the word religion that came later with the Romans, but uh, that was our word that we used to explain it. So when we use the term uh, Sedian, or a new term that's trying to uh, introduce itself is Folksida, which is a, a uh, Anglo-Saxon term uh, to uh, mean the folk ways. Um, I like both terms a lot, but they both get back to the root of our religion being called Fornicither. And so we are trying to define specifically what it is that our faith is because uh, we don't practice the same faith as the Asatru community. We don't practice the same faith as the Troth. And apparently, you know, uh, there are organizations that are very anti-reconstructionists. They're modern in their interpretations of uh, spiritual, uh, of things that are of spiritual importance. Uh, I don't know, did you see Mark's video, uh, Mark Perrier's video on the Noriana Society YouTube for uh, hard versus soft religion? I remember, I, I remember watching it but I only watched it once and I can't I can't recall the overall points beyond soft religion is from what I understood essentially somebody that espouses a religion but seeks to change the religion to fit their 
spiritual, political, social worldviews and to where a hard religion requires you, if need be, to change your personal, political, social worldviews around the religion. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I watched the video three times just because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss any of the points that he was raising because he was raising very important points. And um, I like the allegory that he gave of, about uh, jujitsu and learning that. If somebody were to just go into, and, and he relates this, you know, of course, corresponding the jujitsu place as an organ, a religious organization, um, if you go to a jujitsu master and tell him that you want to learn jujitsu, and he says, "Okay, well, let's go to a tournament," and yeah, just roll on the floor, roll around. You're just doing jujitsu now. Uh, would you consider that a a, a good jujitsu teacher, or versus you know one that makes you learn from the very bottom and teaches you? the actual skills and the techniques that you need to have in order to actually master jujitsu, um, which I thought was a very poignant uh, point that he, he made. I would relate what he was saying if we're going to use spiritual allegories in religion, uh, kind of akin to how Christians today, especially in modern America, where people will say, yeah, I'm Christian, all I got to do is believe in Jesus and I'm saved. I go to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do. I just believe in him because he's already forgave my sins. It is essentially is that type of spiritualism or religious faith that that would be soft religion. Uh, where hard religion would be where one is practicing an actual orthodoxy and orthoproxy or uh a specific tradition on how to do and believe things. So people will say, well, you're anti or they're anti reconstructionist, meaning that they don't want to reconstruct the past. And they always raise the point of, well, what are you trying to reconstruct the fifth century, the sixth century, the 10th century. And Mark, you know, he addresses this point in that video as well. And it's very important point is that when we speak about reconstruction, we're not speaking about reconstructing a specific era or culture of that time. Um, he uses the terminology of reconstructing the chain. And what he means by that reconstructing the chain is the actual theological uh, and practical uh, functions of the religion that our ancestors actually practice. Now, many people will say today, well, we can't know, we can't do that. But contrary to that, the Noriana Society has proven its ability to show, and demonstrably so, that, that we can reconstruct the theological conceptions to a degree that it becomes a spiritual faith, that, that we know our ancestors practice. And, it, and this is important because with some of the organizations that have only just started in the last 50 years, They've built traditions of their own, and they don't want to be Reconstructionists because they don't want to feel 
that they are invalidated, that what they've been doing is wrong. And as you and I have mentioned before, it's not about the validation of what you're doing because it's all part of the path of us reestablishing our connection to our ancestors. But understanding the cosmological conceptions of the universe, our relation to it, our gods and our people is absolutely essential. If your understanding to that only begins 50 years ago, then you are not actually connecting to that in continual theological process uh, of that, of, of, you know, being faithful to our gods and connecting to them properly. Yeah, I mean, if you're only going back 50 years, how many centuries of knowledge and works are you cutting off and invalidating? Well, exactly. And and this is the problem is, and I want to go back to the roots of how these organizations started because we have to remember Stephen McNallan's connection to Elsie Christensen, her inspiration from Alexander Rudd Mills, his inspiration from Guido von Liszt. So we can understand where that spiritual tradition is that they are practicing and moving forward um, and what they've built off of. And then we have to understand where von Liszt, that his spiritual tradition came from. And we've already discussed that in a previous episode. So moving back to the future of the organizations in the 80s where information is limited, you know, sometimes you had to travel just to go uh, read an ancient manuscript at a museum across the world or to an archaeological site. There was an internet. Let's remember this. No internet, no cell phones. Uh, it was real-life communications, person-to-person, people traveling to see each other, writing letters on pieces of paper with pens and pencils to each other. That's what it was. And so the information was very limited on that understanding. And then during the 70s, uh, essentially the New Age movement, as they call it, a lot of works began developing during that time, and we've talked about this before. Um, and this is sort of kind of the anti-Christian reactionary uh, time in our history where people are starting to revolt against the Christian doctrine and theological beliefs and customs of the time. And so a lot of that material was just drawing off of things that were strictly just anti-Christian reactionary thought where now you have people joining occultist groups and satanic groups and these ideas uh, essentially proliferated uh, into what we call Asa True Today via these ideas that they learned from these anti-Christian groups and then on the scene comes our buddy Mr. Edward Thorson and if you haven't Listen to our episode on this. Um, please go back to season two. Um, what was the name of that episode again, Anthony? It's called The Occultist Conspiracy in Germanic Paganism. Yes. Go back and listen to the episode if you haven't, because we dive into Edred Thorson and his history, uh, pedophilia, the Temple of Set, 
uh, in how he proliferated these occultist ideas into the Germanic scene through his books that he's written on the runes and essentially creating a whole spiritual or religious system uh, that's completely foreign to our people. Um, it's important to understand his connection because he, during this formative period of Asatru in the late 70s, early 80s, he comes around and he begins to disseminate this information from his previous occult ties and knowledge and wrote it in a way when he talks about the runes that people that are interested in learning about these things would begin studying um, and it was common all the way up until the last 10 years where the internet's reach and its power started actually uh, giving us the capabilities to research and thoroughly understand what our belief systems are and know that the teachings that Edward Thorson um, and those that teach his material um, are actually teaching a false false religion to our people. So Edward Thorson not only was a part of the formation of the AFA, uh, he was also an integral part of the formation of the Asatru Alliance. He was part of this. He was there on the scenes. He was also a formative part of the formation of the universalist organization known as the troth um, so he is the inventor of universalism he is the first one that began the ideas of allowing people uh foreign to our folk uh to introduce their spiritual practices or their descendants into our traditions why is this important? Because this is how Asatru has been corrupted. This is the very reason why that word should not represent the tradition that we're following. Now, I know many people have called themselves Asatru, or I call myself that. I still think that's a, you know, a valid thing to say. But I think when we use that term, we're just speaking in the more general sense that um, is kind of a more common word between people. But we have to be real. We have to understand that universalists, Satanists, uh, left-hand path uh, organizations uh, all use this term to identify themselves with. And that term, when it's spoken of among people just in com common conversations or online groups uh, is used as uh, to mean all sorts of things. We have cults of personality online like Arith Harger that teaches people that Raka True uh, was something that our ancestors actually practice, which is completely false. Um, you know, he claims certain ancestry that he actually doesn't have. Uh, I call people like this, you know, that create these cults of personality because they're very charismatic. They're able to uh, give people information that people are hungry to try to get, and they exploit that by making money. And anytime that you see, like, the money connections uh, with the work that somebody's doing, it, over time it becomes very apparent who's in it to just grift or make money from the folk and who's in it to actually try to uh, teach and help 
the folk learn and uh, practice our traditional ancestral faith. So I bring that up because when it comes to Edward Thorson and his work and why some of these organizations like the Oster True Folk Assembly or the um, Troth, etc., cetera, uh, want people to study this work. Specifically, the Oster True Folk Assembly owned the rights to Edward Thorson's books uh, back in the mid-late 2010 to 2018 era, somewhere in there. And it was their financial benefit to teach these works to people. And now after all this time, it's still part of their Gothi curriculum. Uh, I mean, pretty much that's the faith that they're teaching to, to their folk. And I'm not saying what they're doing is right or wrong. On a general level, the average folk don't understand these things. They don't understand the backstories or the histories to these things. And I know that they approach the faith in a very sincere way of trying to learn and see certain people or certain, certain organizations as essentially uh, a figure to, to learn from, which is fine. Uh, but it's important that we are all aware of that because it gets back to you know, what it is that we're trying to practice. If somebody wants to practice that knowingly, more power to them. No hate for me. My problem is, is don't call that a traditional faith, though. And that is why there's a huge discussion online about what we should call ourselves. You have any words on any of that, Anthony? Personally, I will say it's wrong for them to use these materials in teaching new people. Because these new people don't know. They're coming, they are looking for their ancestral ways, and they are not being given what they're looking for, and they are not being educated on the influences that these people have had in their lives that influence their work. In that Occult conspiracy in the Germanic tradition episode, I bring up that Mr. Thorson is still a member of the Temple of Set, which is a left-hand path, dark occultist offshoot of the Church of Satan, because Michael Aquino felt that it wasn't there wasn't enough actual devil worship going on so when you have somebody that speaks so highly of this military officer in charge of psyops uh somebody who is involved with <clears throat> disgusting acts against children on a high level and that influences their work. That is absolutely antithetical to our traditional ways. And when you're using this person, Mr. Thorson, Mr. Flowers, to teach your, teach your Gothar and your members about the religion, you are not giving them what they're looking for. So I'll take it a step further and say it is bad. 
not only is it bad, is it bad, it's absolutely heretical. Fair. And, you know, on the Sacred Stew channel, and if nobody follows us, we, we have a channel on Telegram called The Sacred Stew. Uh, if you have Telegram or don't have Telegram, download the app and you can search us by that name, find us and follow us. But uh, I had posted yesterday um, a little bit about defining what's focus and what's not focus, what's traditional, what's not traditional. So let's first get some definitions out of the way here. Cultural heritage. This is the literal definition of cultural heritage. The inherited body of beliefs, customs, artistic activity, and knowledge that has been transmitted by ancestors. So any group that is claiming to somehow revolve around cultural heritage, if they are not attaching themselves to the inherited body of beliefs, customs, and knowledge that has been passed down or transmitted by their ancestors, is not, by definition, practicing any sort of cultural heritage within their practices. Folk tradition. Literal definition of folk tradition. The common beliefs, practices, customs, and other cultural elements of an ethnic or social group that are rooted in the past. Again, that are rooted in the past, but are persisting into the present due to means such as arts, crafts, songs, music, dance, foods, drama, storytelling, and certain forms of oral communication, or other words, oral tradition passed down. So if any organization, group, or person is not attaching themselves to common beliefs, practices, and customs that are rooted in the past and persist today into the future, into the present, then they are not, by definition, practicing a folkish tradition. Now let's define traditional culture. Traditional culture, literally defined as learned, non-random, systematic behavior and knowledge transmitted over several generations, especially customs and beliefs, originating before the advent of modern science and technology. So essentially before the modern era. Especially customs and beliefs originating before the modern era. So if your guru or cult leader or organization is not learning knowledge that's been transmitted from the past or from generations before that originated before the modern era, 
they are not practicing a traditional cultural practice by definition. If they're only going back 50 years, they are not, they are not traditional. They are not re- looking to recreate the folk ways. Right. And, it, you know, we mentioned this in previous episode as well, too. And that's fine, you know, especially when some of these organizations have made the specific comment that they are not reconstructionists. So they are specifically saying they are not rooted in the past. They're of the modern time. And they've also specifically said they are not pan-Germanic. So I'm glad that some of these organizations are saying exactly what they are. But now it's important that people out there, and we need to disseminate this information so people understand the difference between the two. And if you feel the call to your ancestral faith and you want to connect to that, you can do so by connecting to people and organizations that practice Fornsither or the old customs. That is the original faith of our ancestors. Now, some people would say, well, is there anything wrong with like uh, me- uh, melding the two together? Uh, modern, you know, practice or tradition. And because uh, people have said that to me. Uh, yes and no. I mean, if you are specifically making up something new that contradicts something that we know is a part of our faith and our religion, then then don't. Don't do that. But if you're doing something out of practicality or something that doesn't contradict the faith um, or the practices or rituals, uh, then there's no harm in it. For example, uh, we know with the bloats that are performed in the course of the year for the community as a whole, uh, we've talked about this in the past on our episodes about bloats and how there's nine of them a year, and each one of those nine are done during three vizlas or festivals throughout the year, uh, that, for example, uh, it's important that you do those three bloats at those specific times of the year, Um but out of practicality, uh, even though our ancestors held these festivals over a three-day period and traditionally did these bloats one on each day, uh, it's difficult for a lot of people to be able to arrange uh, these type of settings to do that. And so, like, for example, my, my kindred, when we performed Thora bloat and Yule bloat and Sonar bloat, it wasn't over a three-day period. We did it in one day and had a feast and, and all of that, and we performed all three of those bloats in one day. So I would call that an example of using a modern practice, uh, but yet still practicing the traditional way of doing these bloats um, because that's the most important part of it is actually performing them. Do you have any examples? I mean, I guess on that same token, we could use the example of the hammer test that a lot of groups in Kendrids do. Um, I know it looks slightly different for 
different organizations, different groups, different kindreds. But what that is essentially doing is creating a rite of passage to be seen as an adult in in the tribe, in the community. For everybody listening, what Anthony's describing is there's, you know, our our tribe here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and this is done in other parts of the country too. I think the Focus Alliance does does it as well. But um, we have what we call our hammer test, which is essentially an affirmation that in order to wear a hammer around your neck um, at in our groups, you have to be able to demonstrate a basic core understanding of uh, our lore and faith, you know, what it is. Uh, the concept behind it is, you know, there's so many people out there, and this gets back to the term Asatru. There's so many people that use that term. Same thing is there's so many people out there just wearing hammers around their neck. And I've personally ran across people, and they had no clue of even anything about what it represented. It just looked cool to them, which is fine, and, and, and it is whatever it is. But we have decided within our group that to wear one, uh, is going to come with meaning behind it. So there's a rite of passage where you have to display certain uh, points of knowledge about our faith that deal with the lore, that deal with the runes, uh, that deal with uh, law. So when one wears it and dons it uh, within our circles, uh, we know that that person understands the basic tenets of what we're doing there and the purpose behind it. Um, I think it's a really good thing to, to adopt. And yeah, that is an example of a modern practice that's still within the bounds of the traditional faith. Why is all of this important? Because if for our faith to be true for our folk, it has to be true for all time. Common theological concepts do not change over time. What changes over time is the subversion of the faith by different things. And, and what we see happening today, uh, as we read that letter earlier, we see a development of a cult of personality forming within circles uh, that for a long time have been considered traditional. At least people had that perception of it. And it's no different than like these left-hand path uh, gurus on YouTube that you can find, people that have no comprehension of how rituals are performed, uh, what they mean, why we do it, um, except for now we see this happening with one of the older mono monolithic organizations. And they are developing essentially a practice of making somebody a saint and trying to form their entire religion around just an individual that has a spiritual, a living spiritual authority over its followers. In some ways, I certainly understand the tendency to do that, to try to make sure that there is not confusion among, you know, an organization's flock. Uh, but the problem arises whenever you, whenever you have people that are representing to be the only name that 
is associated with certain terms that are used by the general public, for example, Asatru, um, it's just problematic. It's, it's, it's very troubling. Because that term Asatru, yeah, because that term Asatru being true to the gods is a term that if you are following to the definition of what it means by traditional standards, that would be practicing the faith and the religion and the way that is traditionally done by our ancestors from the past, and now we are carrying it in, into the future. The tendency of people to follow these cults of personality because they sound intelligent and offer what people instinctually know that they are lacking is counterproductive in that it creates misinformation and when you are not rooted in the past you are and are not rooted in, in tradition you cannot true you cannot in fact be true to the gods or the ancestors so it is essentially an oxymoron perfectly said and we can't forget the seed of what these organizations are and what they proliferated and the confusion that's out there among people because of the use of similar terminology to describe practicer, practitioners of the Asatru faith. Um, and people need to understand why that varies so much. So uh, I guess we need to define exactly what is and what isn't Germanic heathenry. And uh, on our Sacred Stew channel, we shared a post this morning, and I'm just going to read this because I, I think that, you know, it's important um, for many people out there that are trying to find their way home. Uh, As we move forward into an era of heathendom where New Agers and non-traditionalists attempt to hijack our faith by corrupting some of our core beliefs, it is important to understand what is and what is not heathen. And when I say that word heathen, I specifically am referring to Germanic heathenry. So let's first begin understanding this by defining what a heathen is not. Not heathen, monism or monotheism. This idea of a singular god. Not heathen, atheism, the belief that the gods are not real, that they were men, or that they're just rocks or thunder, or archetypes, that is a form of atheism. Not heathen, homoeroticism, or homosexualism. There are many people out there that call them Asatru, call themselves Asatru, that are homosexual. Traditionally, our ancestors would bog or they would kill homosexuals. That is a fact. Not heathen. Destructive behavior to our women, children, families, and folk. Anything that harms your family, anything that harms your wife, your daughter, your son, 
your mother, your father, and the general folk as a whole is not heathen. Not heathen. Oblivious identitarianism. So you see this all the time where there's people out there that are like, well, you know, it's not right if it's not white or white pride worldwide, even though I don't know why, you know, they just have this identitarian idea concept of, you know, being white. They don't know the reason or the spiritual connection or importance of our ethnic ancestry and in our fate. And so that is not a part that movement is not a part of anything to do with Germanic heathenry. It's important people to understand that. Now, being identitarian with an understanding of why it's important culturally, spiritually, um, and moving into the future, uh, that is based from our traditions that come from our ancestors on the reasons why uh, we preserve our folk through these traditions. Not heathen. Non-Germanic paternal bloodline. If you have people that are not uh, from our folk uh, that share that cultural, spiritual connection to the tradition itself, um, then you're not practicing the traditional faith. It would be the same as if uh, Aztec Indian or Native American, you know, uh, you, you, you can't be that if you're not that. That's their culture, that's their faith, that's their religion. If you are not from those folk, you are not of that religion. Now, that doesn't mean you can't believe in their gods, but they believe that they're descended from their gods, but you're not. Every folk has its own origin stories, and I believe that they're all mostly true for their people, not heathen. Lokianism, and we've already done a couple episodes <laughs> touching on Loki, but we don't need to go into it very deep here. Just know nothing Loki. Anybody that is worshiping Loki, they are not pr practicing a traditional Germanic heathen practice. The next one gets a little political, which we don't touch on on a lot, but not heathen feminism. Why is that not heathen, Anthony? So to me, modern fe modern feminism creates a highly unnecessary and unnatural division between men and women, and modernity has seemed to have lost track that men and women have different roles in society that does not make one greater than the other but we men and women have different strengths and strengths and weaknesses and feminism in the modern take seeks to blur those lines and it masculizes women and feminizes men. Yes, and it destroys the entire concept of a traditional family. Um, it is destructive. I, so 
I have to put out a joke out there, but uh, have you ever, you, you know why feminism hasn't been uh, successful yet at conquering the world? <laughs> Enlighten me. Well, because they haven't hired a man to do it yet. <laughs> uh, but in, anyways, uh, all jokes aside, uh, feminism is not heathen. It is not traditional. Not heathen. Equality. Equality is not heathen. And I know I'm going to chop up this quote. I believe it was Aristotle that said this, uh, but I do like this quote, that the greatest inequality is when you treat two things which are not equal as if they are equal. So... When I speak of equality, I speak of the, of the very nature of uh, mankind itself. That there's always somebody that is better or the best at something. Uh, there's always some woman that is more beautiful than another woman. There is always some person that is smarter than the other person. In a relationship, there is always someone in a relationship that usually loves the other person more than the other person loves them that's not to say that the other person doesn't have a deep love for the their their other but that it it just not equal um so yeah equality is not part of our traditional faith and i'm specifically implying this because of all of the political uh things that are going on in our societies today not heathen chaos lack of law tradition or order anthony i know this is one of your good good subjects you like expound on that for us so our ancestors in their communities we had i'm gonna i'm gonna use slightly modern modern terms we had secular laws, mundane laws, and we had spiritual laws. And what these did is it kept the community functioning. And this chaos element also ties back into why we do not honor Loki. When you create unnecessary chaos, when you, uh, when you break down the societal constructs that help keep a community strong and thriving, the only thing that can come of that is destruction of that community. When you're so focused on chaos and just destroying, you cannot build. Nothing good comes of it. Essentially, lack of organization with defined rules, and we get back to the hard religion versus soft religion, allows for the community to, or doesn't allow for the community to function cohesively together. And uh, anything which uh, essentially throws chaos into the mix uh, disrupts that cohesive functionality. So hopefully that sums up the point you were trying to make there. Yeah, and I, I, I just formulated my other point. I think a subtle, an extremely subtle 
and a bomb wrapped in lace is individualism. When people are so focused on being themselves, speaking their truth with no regard to what it does to the people around them, that creates chaos. In being a traditional person, regardless of regardless of your ethnic tradition heritage, if you are a traditional person, you understand that the last thing you are is an individual. You are not separate from your family. You are not separate from your community. You are not separate from your ancestors. You are not separate from the gods. The things you do and the things you say, how you conduct yourself, all of these things are first and foremost a reflection of your family, your community, your gods. Nicely said, Anthony. I think that summarizes that one. Uh, so the next one, not heathen, foreign traditions syncretizing or introducing traditions that are not from our tradition is not heathen. The next one, and I'm going to expound upon the next one a little bit. Not heathen, pan-Indo-Europeanism. Some people may even say Aryanism um, because they mean the same thing when they say that. So to define what I mean that it's not heathen to believe in pan-Indo-Europeanism, I'll explain this point like this. The idea that all Indo-European descended folk practice in the exact same faith is what is meant by that statement. This is not a denial of similarities or shared roots, but rather the idea of resurrecting a shared religious faith and practice as one syncretic religion, that is a heresy to our Germanic tradition. To say that all Indo-European descended folk need to practice a religion that is similar in nature to each other is a heresy. Whether you do it in modern terms by calling it Arianism or in more traditional terms as pan-Indo-Europeanism, uh, our people have a history that's unique from other folk. And our people have a relationship with our gods and goddesses and the other beings of the world that are different from our folk. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't respect our cousins and our very distantly related ancestors and their practices and we should support them, you know, in building their faiths. But the idea that we should all practice it or share the same common way of understanding the gods is a heresy to our, our people and our tradition. I think a prime example is of what you're talking about right now is how many people try to use the the Vedic tradition to fill in the perceived gaps in our in our lore and tradition. Well, no, not so much uh, that because that's actually an important part of uh, 
comparison and reconstruction, being able to say, you know, is this something that's real? Can we prove, you know, this practice happened in ours um, by comparing it to others or understanding parts of the lore that may be missing from our tradition um, that gives us a little insight into it. What I'm more or less referring to, though, if I was to use your example of the Vedic tradition, would be essentially adopting that and saying this is how we should practice the faith. I'm just saying I've, I've, I've seen people try to cut and paste from the Vedic tradition. I understand that the Vedic tradition is one of our cousins, like you said, but when people try to just cut and paste from there over to here, that's where problems happen. I completely understand the value right. looking at the similarities and finding, going back, finding where it started, and then trying to see how our ancestors would have worked with that concept. Right. Uh, which is sort of the next one gets into it a little bit is not heathen is Hinduism. That's not our traditional practice. So if you are practicing that, you are not practicing a Germanic heathen religion or faith or practice. Uh, not heathen, Satanism. I think we've already kind of dealt with this earlier in the conversation, so I'm not going to dive into that too much. Not heathen, Wiccan. Wiccan is a syncretic uh, spiritual faith and practice that incorporates uh, traditions that are foreign to our people. It was an attempt at reconstructing a old European faith, uh, and it is what it is, but it is not Germanic heathenry. Not heathen. Occultism. Occultism is not heathen. It has its roots and shares roots with a lot of Jewish Kabbalistic uh, spiritual practices that are foreign to our people that were introduced during the Christian era into our consciousness. And we've talked about this before on the... On the esoteric conspir conspiracy episode um, and this kind of gets back to the roots uh, Guido Von List love the guy I thought that he was you know sincere in his efforts in trying to revive a Germanic practice and I certainly understand his attempts but just speaking frankly he learned these practices from foreigners uh, Blavatsky who is an uh, who has admitted to be a Satanist. It does not come from our practice. And again, I'll highlight the history of some of these monolithic Asatru organizations. It was Guido von List to Alexander Wood Mills to Elsie Christensen and then disseminated into different parts of the world among people to create different Odinist fellowships or Asatru organizations. Stephen Flowers, a.k.a. Edred Thorson, again, a person that has studied Von List's work very much in, in depth and very familiar with uh, Carl Jung's uh, theories. Again, occultism, not Germanic heathenry. So that brings me to the next one. Not heathen. Anything to do with Stephen Flowers or a.k.a. Edward Thorson is not heathen. Not heathen. Arith Harger. And many, many others on YouTube as well besides him. Cults of personality that 
has disseminated a large amount of misinformation about what our religion is. Um, again, he's taught people on his channels that Raka through was some type of sort of real practice among the folk. It was not. He also has uh, episodes or that he's done where he describes the runes. But if you ask him, you know, where exactly you get the this information about the runes, there is no answer to that because he's making it up, and that's the problem. Not heathen. Denial of traditionalism. It is not Germanic heathenry to deny the tradition that gives us our faith, that gives us our culture, that gives us our way of life. To deny that is to deny all of the reasons and the purpose of who we are and what our purpose is here on this earth and moving forward. So that's kind of a list and there's probably many other things I could add to this, but I think, you know, when we're having this conversation and we're talking about, you know, uh, defining terms for us to identify as, that it's important that we understand exactly what is. I mean, we can say, you know, we believe this, this, and this, and this, and we can use this term, and other groups can adopt the same term and, and try to subvert the meaning of it. But when you start specifically spelling out, well, this is not this. This is not this. When we define these terms, I think it's more powerful because it allows for less confusion uh, by just saying what it is because then other people can just add on all the things that they want to add on to what it is or may be. And that's the problem with using generic terms like Asatru or Odinist. Not that those terms are wrong in and of, in, in of themselves, but that they don't define exactly who you are or what, you're, or what you believe. Are we not going to throw in prayer scars or not even? <laughs> yes. Wearing a stole or a shawl is not heathen either. Uh, that is not a practice that came from any pagans. Uh, there are some groups that wear those, and uh, they claim, you know, well, it comes from the, the Romans. Again, it comes from the Romans, not Germanic pagans. But the Romans didn't really adopt it until, like, the 2nd or 3rd century. And then when the stola was first introduced, it was mainly worn by women. Uh, it later developed into a sign or symbol of one's regency or authority. Uh, but the tradition itself was introduced by foreign people, Jews specifically, um, from their traditions. Uh, it is one of the commandments in the Bible that the Jews wear what they call the talit, which is the prayer shawl. Uh, that is where that tradition originates from. <laughs> well, uh, I think we've said a I think we've said a mouthful on this first episode of season three um do you have anything you want to add to any of this or any comments about anything no i think i've banged on things enough today yeah you you definitely uh jumped into that uh ice river there pretty quickly at the beginning of the episode you said a lot there <laughs> i came out swinging uh, yeah uh i guess as we close this episode i you know it's important 
for me to express to everybody that uh, we love the folk, all of the folk. Uh, what we don't like is when there is people that are subverting what the tradition of our ancestral faith is and trying to convince our folk that it is something that it is not. Uh, I understand, you know, that a lot of people go into these things blindly. Um, a lot of people make oaths uh, to certain organizations and certain people. And, of course, fulfilling oaths are always important. Um, but at the same time, it's also important that that oath doesn't cause harm to the folk abroad. And I hope and encourage brothers that I have all over the world that may have different views than me to think about these things and uh, really examine, you know, what it is that, you're, that you believe in and what you are practicing. If your faith just started 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 days ago, um, can you really call it an ancestral faith? Can you really claim to have connections to the ancestors? I would, I would say not. I would say not. Though I understand that some of the practices people do um, have evolved over time as they learn more. Um, I would also encourage people to, again, study the sources, study the, the, the roots of the things that they believe. We've went over this before in the past about knowing where the information comes from. We did that in our Christian series in season two. Um, it's just another example of this. Uh, with that said, I'll bring up a couple things for the future uh, in episodes. Again, we're going to start talking about community building and how to do that. And I thought that this topic that we discussed tonight perfectly introduces this conversation uh, because we want to start guiding and helping people to develop their concentric circles, starting with themselves, with the true belief, the things that we've talked about in season one and two, uh, you know, understanding our faith in a proper uh, theological perception of it. But now it's time to start talking about how we build outside of that uh, belief system in connecting with our families and our friends and building these concentric circles of communities around us. Uh, the monolithic organizations that exist uh, primarily exist on a top-down organizational structure, which has never worked for our folk ever in history. Um, what we want to do is build from the bottom up, from the individual up, uh, because that is the only way. It starts with you, and it starts with you connecting to your ancestors. So we're going to have Mark Pruyer on uh, this season, probably maybe next episode, but probably two. I want to talk with you, Anthony, a little bit more before we commit to which episode it will be, just because... I want to see if we want to talk, jump into a different topic uh, that connects to all of this as well before we bring Mark on. But uh, anyways, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. If you don't follow us, you can follow us on YouTube, the Sacred Stew channel. You can follow us on anchor.fm. Uh, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also on Telegram, the Sacred Stew channel. This has been the Sacred Stew. I am Anthony. My co-host is James. Y'all have a good night.